enlightening, informative, sexy, and fun. Welcome to Looking for Love with your host, Dr. Lori Buckley. Dr. Lori will help you find the love you desire and show you how to have more love and passion in your life. Whether you're single, dating, in a relationship, married, or going through a breakup or divorce, Dr. Lori is here to help. This is Looking for Love, and here's your host, Dr. Lori Buckley. Welcome, you are listening to Looking for Love and More, and I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley, and I am excited to announce a guest that I have today, a very special guest, Dr. Joshua Gonzalez, and he is here to talk about some really important things, hormones, sex drive, and how it really impacts all of us. And Dr. Joshua Gonzalez is a board-certified urologist who is fellowship-trained in sexual medicine and specializes in the management of male and female sexual dysfunctions. These include issues surrounding hormone deficiency, menopause, sexual arousal, orgasm, ejaculation, libido and desire, sexual pain, penile curvature, and erectile dysfunction. So many things that so many people are really struggling with. Dr. Gonzalez also treats a variety of common urological conditions, including benign prostatic disease, voiding dysfunction, and male infertility, and specializes in cosmetic urology. Throughout his career, Dr. Gonzalez has focused on advocating for sexual health and providing improved health care to the LGBTQ community. So welcome, Dr. Gonzalez. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and, you know, again, there's so much to talk about, but I thought it would be really great for us to focus on hormones, sexual desire, arousal, things that I know you see in your practices, I do in mine, people who are really struggling. And for men specifically, let's just talk about them first for a moment, okay. because testosterone seems to be something that a lot of men are concerned about and feel it is the cause or primary cause of their loss of desire or their loss of functioning or struggle with sexual functioning. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think... Um there is reason to be concerned um, because um, the truth is at age 40, all men start to lose their testosterone. The, the studies that we have show that it's about uh, a decline of about 1% per year after age 40. But what I tell my patients is that, you know, some people start that process earlier for whatever reasons, um, genetics, environmental factors, life stressors, things that, you know, are known to lower testosterone. Um other comorbidities, that kind of thing. But, you know, so we're, but we're all fighting against time. So at age 40, we all start to see a decline in, in that number. Um, and some people, even if they're starting around 40, can have a steeper decline. So maybe they're, you know, their testosterone is reducing by more than 1% per year. Um, so we first start to see, you know, um, men complain about libido issues around this time. Um, of course, some people can present earlier and some people much later, but on average, it's probably in, in the 40 to 50 range, uh, age range where we see men start to complain about uh, a noticeable decline in their sexual desire. And um, putting those two together, I think if you're a man that falls into that category, it's worth discussing um, checking your testosterone levels uh, with your physician because there is a, a pretty clear correlation between uh, suboptimal testosterone levels and problems with libido. So that would be my, my first point. Um, it's also important to remember that libido is not just about testosterone. There are other hormonal um, 
parameters that that play into it. So estradiol, which is the primary estrogen in both men and women, is also important um, for uh, libido function. You don't want it to be too high in men. Um, and there are a, ver- a variety of reasons that that can happen. Um, but you, if it gets too high, it can actually have a negative impact on male libido. Um, so that's another thing that we routinely screen for when someone is complaining of that. Um, things like thyroid dysfunction, um, pituitary dysfunction, um, th- those can all have negative impacts on libido. And then wow. the third point I, I, I like to make is that Libido is also not just about hormones. So obviously that's where I specialize. Um, but as you know, working in, in the sexual health space as well, that something like sex drive and really kind of any sexual dysfunction that you're talking about is, is really multifactorial, right? So certainly it can be a hormone issue, but you've also got to consider what's happening in the world. I've seen a ton of people this year specifically presenting with declines in sexual uh, drive and you know, a lot of those patients I've already treated and we've corrected whatever hormone problem we found in the past, but because the world seemed to sort of be crumbling around us all in 2020, I'm seeing an increase in people coming in reporting that their, their lack of, of sexual interest is, is becoming a bigger issue. Um, and then you got to remember, you know, that they're not just, uh, a person living in, in, in a bubble or in isolation, often libido is relative to their, their experience with a partner, or if they're single, their experience with multiple partners, or in the pandemic, a, a, a single person not being able to experience that partnership necessarily if they're if they're being good about quarantining. So, you know, all of those things are important to keep in mind. Yeah, so many layers. And that's why, you know, it takes a team sometimes. And so when I see a couple who are complaining, whether it's one partner or both, usually it's one when they come to me, one partner is not so happy with the desire of the other person. But sometimes they come to me individually. I always like to rule out anything physiological or hormonal. But I also talk about relationally and certainly psychologically, and you're right about what is happening in the world when we are under so much stress. I imagine cortisol also has Mm -hmm. an impact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you really differentiate between relational, psychological, and physiological or hormonal? And I always think it's a good idea to check out the hormonal just to rule it out. And if it is a concern to make sure that that gets addressed, I am, I have to tell you somewhat surprised that it starts to decline at such a young age. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, I mean, I I get it's also 1% a year, but like you said, it can vary. So sometimes if someone is having in their younger and they're having a decline in their libido and it doesn't seem like there's anything else going on emotionally or psychologically that it could actually be a hormonal issue. So that is enlightening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think one of the things that um, we do here that I I find that I think our patients find very valuable is that um, we kind of treat everybody the same from a hormonal standpoint, right? If you're 25 and having problems with your sex drive or your lip or your erections say if you're a man um or you're 65 with the same problems we're going through the same workup and we're not dismissing that 25 year old because he's 25 um 
that, that there's not a possibility that there's a physiological issue there because we find that all the time, even in patients that you wouldn't expect or have really no good explanation for why their testosterone may be suboptimal or why they may have some other hormonal issue, we still check. And I think that helps patients because clearly, you know, especially younger patients tend to have um, uh, a pretty significant psych psychogenic component, psychological component to their, these kinds of sexual health issues. But part of that is also because they feel like there's something wrong with them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that they may be doing it to themselves. Why am I psyching myself out? Why can't I be as horny as all my other friends are that talk about, you know, partners all the time? Um, and so part of my trying to undo that psychological component, while obviously I'm not a specialist in that, is to try to normalize their problem, you know, yeah. from my from a physiological perspective. I tell them all the time, just because you're 25 doesn't mean you can't have a physical problem. And we're going to try to figure that out. Um, because the, the, the truth is, is that if they've talked to other providers about it, a lot of times they are dismissed. And so I would encourage your listeners, you know, at any age, if you're having an issue related to sexual health, it's such an easy thing to have this kind of hormonal screen done. And and if it's negative, great. At least we can cross that out. And then we can right. focus on, a, on addressing other issues. It's also really easy for a lot of doctors to overlook that because of age. So I like Absolutely. that you're, you're really thorough. And, you know, you're talking about also anxiety and depression, which can get in the way of our desire. And sometimes that's the case and sometimes it isn't, but it's always good to check. But I'm also really interested in sexual functioning. So I think when we think of testosterone, most people think of libido, right? Mm -hmm. think of testosterone is all about libido. How much is it connected to functioning, erections or ejaculations? And what would you say about that? Um, it's crucial. So, you know, there there is a clear link between declining testosterone levels and sexual function, especially erections. Um, and that's why the two go kind of hand in hand. Men's erectile function tends to decline with age. And that is at least partially due to the decline in testosterone. There's, of course, other factors that 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 um, that play a role. Um, but, you know, I, I also tend to approach the testosterone and sort of hormonal um, evaluation a lot more liberally than other kinds of health providers because because of that, because we know that men with um, testosterone levels in, say, the upper part of the normal range tend to have better function. So I often will see patients who, you know, maybe had testosterone checked by another provider, and it was in the normal range, and they were, you know, but on the lower end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone who's not experienced working in this in this kind of space tells them, oh, you're normal, just because they look at the lab report, and it falls in the normal range. Um I don't, I don't approach it that way. I don't think it's helpful to tell someone that they're normal or abnormal from a hormonal standpoint because the range for testosterone, as an example, is really wide, right? So mm -hmm. we're talking about a number from 300 to 900, and that range is meant to cover men from adolescence until death. So if you've got, again, a 25-year-old with a testosterone of 325, sure, he's in the normal range, but is that really optimal for a 25 year old, number one, and number two, a 25 year old who's coming to you complaining of erectile dysfunction or low libido or some other symptom that we associate with low testosterone. So I will often put men who are quote unquote normal, um, but what I would consider suboptimal on treatment 
to get their their numbers in a more optimal range. Yeah, that, I love that. It, so in other words, it's not just the numbers. Sometimes you want to look at the symptoms. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah, you're right. I had, um, well, do I, I have hypothyroidism, which means my thyroid doesn't on its own function very well. And I would get the test and if everything was normal, but I was having, this is years ago, I was having pretty severe symptoms. And I went to Mm -hmm. an endocrinologist, a good endocrinologist who said, I don't know what the labs are showing, but I can see that you are experiencing some pretty strong symptoms. So he literally doubled my dosage Mm -hmm. of the thyroid medication. And I felt like 100% better. And yeah. the doctor who I'd gone to previously, who was in network, said, Oh, no, you know, that's going to be horrible. I thought it was doubling like that's so much. And when she checked my levels, they were fine. So right. it really taught me sometimes like the symptoms aren't, um, or the symptoms are much more important sometimes than what the numbers show in the lab. Now, here's yeah. a question. Let's mm-hmm. talk about women because I know that there are women who have low libido and mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's a subject I can talk about for days. Uh, there's so many different layers there as well. And we're not built like men, but a lot of women have tried using testosterone or been told you can use testosterone, that that could be helpful. There's also mm-hmm. these new things that are around. There's the shot. There's a medicine called Vilesi that is a it's an uh, auto injector pen that's a peptide that that has been shown to improve um, libido and can help with orgasm also. Yeah. Well, before we go into testosterone for women, what do you think about that? Um, so I think that any medication that has been made available to women with any kind of sexual function is a um, is a victory. Uh, the reason being, and, and again, I'm, we're not going to, I don't think we should spend too much time on this because this could be its own podcast, but right. um, for a variety of reasons, um, there seems to be a pretty significant gender slash sex bias in the FDA in terms of what they have approved for sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. There's about 30, there's more than 30 available products for male sexual dysfunctions, whether you're talking about different formulations of testosterone, Viagra and those kinds of pills um, that specifically are indicated for men. It wasn't until, you know, five-ish years ago that the first medication was approved for female sexual dysfunction, and it was a pill for um, a low libido condition. So this, um, the injection that you're referring to is um, a medication that's, that's also used for, for treatment of low libido in women. It's a, it's a condition called hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Um, it is an injection you give yourself sort of like a man would use Viagra about Mm -hmm. 45 minutes before sexual activity. Um, and it is a peptide that crosses into the brain and has been shown to improve libido. Um, I, um, the, the studies are promising, um, in terms of like the, the data that, that show improvements. That's why it got approved through the FDA. But, um, I haven't, to be honest, used it that much in my practice, mostly from a practical standpoint, a lot of women um, are not so keen on the idea of giving them so- themselves an injection. Um, even though you know, I-, I show them how it works. It's it's you don't feel it. It's one of those auto injectors, like you're giving yourself an epi shot or insulin or something. Yeah. Um, so it's not a painful thing, um, but it's it's just a little challenging. You know, you got to find the 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 woman in the right kind of situation. Maybe you know she's been with her partner for years, and sex tends to be planned. In those cases, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a lot more challenging to use if you're a single woman 
and or a woman who has multiple partners, you know, because then it, it's not so easy to carry around this pen and, and excuse yourself to, to the bathroom before you start having Hard sex. Hard to be spontaneous. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about it. I agree that it is a victory in the sense that, okay, it's good that we're looking at it. I also think like a lot of medical concerns that it's looked at in a different way. Uh, we can't think of women's libido in the same way that we think of men's libido and, you know, hypoactive sexual desire, I think is kind of like we used to call women hysterical. Um, you know, it's kind of this thing that we say about women where they might not be feeling desire for so many reasons that sure. we actually need to be stimulated before we feel aroused, before we have the desire for sex. Yeah. So I think it might be overly, we'll say diagnosed, just like so many things. Um, and I, I think that the shot, well, maybe there's some potential for it in the future. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. It mm -hmm. did seem that when I read the studies, there was a lot of um, placebo effect too, which, you know, like with anything, but it did seem somewhat high. So I do think there is oftentimes so many other layers that could be addressed first before. Yeah. Look, I think that's true with Viagra too. We know that Viagra isn't always effective because mm -hmm. men need to be aroused before they get an erection, even if they're taking Viagra. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, we, we need to address these things. That's why when people are struggling with whatever they're struggling with sexually, it is a really good idea to work with doctors who work with other doctors. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I love to be able to, you know, refer people to see someone like you to look at all of the physiological things and the hormonal things, and we can address all of the different layers. So sometimes it's a little bit of everything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And to be able to work together that way. So let's go back to testosterone. Is that effective for women? And is it a good idea? And I guess we have to talk about you know the levels, but is it a good idea for women if they want to, maybe they're getting older, maybe they're menopausal, maybe they just don't have a lot of sexual desire. Is it a viable treatment? Absolutely. Yes. So um, let's go over a couple of points. Um, the first is having low sexual desire in and of itself, and this is important for men and women, is not pathological. It only becomes pathological if you are uh, experiencing personal distress or it's causing interrelationship issues, right? Distress yeah. within your relationship with your partner or something like that. So, you know, there are plenty of, there are plenty of people walking around out there that just, you know, aren't as quote unquote horny as their friends. They may not talk about or think about sex as often. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. Um, we're trying to sort of focus when we talk about improving people's libido on, on people who maybe at one point had, a certain degree of sexual interest and for whatever reason, and that's where you and I come in to kind of work together to figure out what the issues are, um, have seen a decline in that. Um, maybe it's not a hormonal issue. Maybe it's not a physical issue. Maybe it's because they're having to spend 24 hours a day with their spouse in quarantine and they've been married for X amount of years and they just don't think about sex with their partner anymore. Um, so there's definitely, you know, those things to keep in mind. But um, if you were talking about a woman who, uh, maybe because of her increasing age, she's approaching menopause or maybe in menopause. Um, the same thing that happens to men that we talked about earlier happens to women. It just tends to be much more of an abrupt transition and, and usually occurs a little bit later in life, right? So the average age of menopause is 51 in this country. Um, but perimenopause, which is 
you know, the, the years leading up to that can start anywhere from four to eight years before. So let's just say you're using 51, you're talking about a woman in her early 40s can start to experience some mild symptoms of menopause. One of those can be a decline in libido. Um, and we see fluctuations in hormonal production starting in perimenopause. And then certainly when a woman starts menopause, her testosterone uh, production, as well as her production of estradiol and progesterone sort of plummet. So that's where I, I mean, it's a much more sort of abrupt transition than it is for men where they kind of are on a, a steady decline. Women just sort of like reach a cliff and kind of fall off when they start. It's like menopause. one day they wake up and everything feels different. Yeah. I mean, it's not always necessarily like one day, but you're talking over the course of like a few months. They're just boom, hot flashes, boom. I've got this tummy that I never had before. Boom. I can't sleep. You know, all of these symptoms just kind of hit women all of a sudden. And, you know, we don't have a great, um, I would say in, in, in our culture, I don't think that it is, it is something that is talked about well. Um, and so, you know, um, we see a large variation in terms of the symptoms that women experience. Um, I think because there is just a natural variation in the severity of symptoms, but also I think because women are just trained to kind of think that this is part of life and mm -hmm. there's nothing that can be done about it. And now I'm in menopause and I have to walk around with no libido and tired all the time. And, you know, all of these things that, that occur with hormone deficiency. Um, so I think because of those two issues, we, we, don't fully appreciate how many women have symptoms associated with menopause. But sorry, that was a long-winded answer to mm -hmm. your question about the testosterone. Good, good answer, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I, what, what I'm hearing is, okay, so yeah, it's not like, well, if you're just not feeling very horny that you automatically go to get some testosterone to fix it. However, that we as women, especially, you know, once we hit our forties and on above, we can start to also experience some decline in our hormones mm -hmm. and it might be a good idea to have some hormone replacement that might include testosterone and other hormones as well. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other episode for sure, which right. I would like to actually do. But let's talk about that for a minute, be just because it's relevant to what we're speaking about now. We have heard about hormone replacement, right? Mm -hmm. HRT. And there have been a lot of different opinions about it. And some people say, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely have hormone replacement so you can have quality of life. Like, why wouldn't you if you have a, something that's missing and you right. can replace it and feel good? Why wouldn't you do that? But then there are people who say, oh, no, it's dangerous. You're putting yourself at risk for, you know, certain things, whether it's cancer or blood clots or whatever it might be. What do you right. say to those people and people who are concerned about or thinking about hormone replacement? Well, I would say let's go back to the example that you brought up earlier related to your thyroid, right? So. Mm -hmm. It's unclear to me why we treat hormone replacement therapy, which refers to the replacement of sex steroid hormones that women no longer make once they are perimenopausal, menopausal, why we treat that any differently than thyroid dysfunction or diabetes, right? All of those things, insulin, thyroid hormone, testosterone, estradiol, progesterone, they're all hormones. We don't blink an eye at replacing thyroid hormone. We don't hesitate to put someone on insulin or on medications to help them regulate their glucose if there's evidence of insulin, you know, insensitivity or, or, or diabetes or, you know, um, there's a thyroid issue. We put them on, you know, Synthroid or whatever it is. 
Um, but there's this reservation to use sex steroid hormones um, in the same way. And, and I try to reiterate that to my patients. It's just another hormone. Your body, our bodies were not meant to live 90 years, right? So we were meant to procreate from a biological perspective perspective, right? An evolutionary perspective. We were supposed to live long enough to have as many children as possible and then die, right? right. And that was how we existed for, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So um, now we live really long, a really long life. And why would you want to spend 50% of your life, potentially, mm-hmm. um, without the hormonal support that your body needs. And we're not just talking about, I think the reason that, that it gets dismissed is because everyone just associates it with sex. And certainly we're talking about it from a sexual standpoint, but mm-hmm. testosterone, estradiol, progesterone are important, not just for sexual function, for maintaining your bone health, for maintaining your cognitive function, for maintaining your energy level. Um, so they're, they're so important for so many different functional reasons. Um, and it's just interesting to me that, that it gets treated in such a different way because of the association with sex. So that, that's sort of like my main point. But secondarily, um, you asked about sort of or alluded to questions of safety. Um, there was a large study that was published in 2001 called the Women's Health Initiative, which essentially reversed what had been done for years. Women before that point had were actually routinely offered hormone replacement therapy once they started menopause. Um, that study um, was a large um, national study that basically uh, indicated that women on hormone replacement therapy were at increased risk for certain adverse effects, whether that be blood clots or certain types of cancers. And so it, it, it really scared not only the medical community, but sort of the general population because it got a lot of media attention. And it flipped what was happening. So rather than women be offered hormone replacement therapy, um, there was a dramatic decline in, in women that were getting offered that treatment after that study. Um, there's a couple things to keep in mind that I go over with my patients. Number one, that data was reanalyzed in I think 2013 or 2014, and they actually showed no difference in the hormone replacement therapy group and the non-hormone replacement therapy group um, in terms of uh, cancer risk and um, and death. So uh, that's huge. That was not picked up by the media and really the damage had kind of already been done. Number two, um, there wasn't really any controlling for how women were receiving hormone replacement therapy. And, you know, this still goes on today. There there are doctors out there that are putting women on, on these treatments, not monitoring them, using things that are considered, you know, um, that are, that are no longer considered things like oral estradiol pills. We don't use that in sort of modern hormone replacement therapy programs anymore, uh, because of some concerns about, um, increased blood clots. Um, so there was really no controlling for that in, in the initial study. So there was no way to figure out what kinds of treatments women were, were getting and, 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 um, regulating that the women in that study all got the same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that goes for how they were being monitored as well. So going back to this thyroid or diabetes example, yeah. we treat that the same, we treat hormone replacement therapy in our office the same way. So no one would ever give you insulin or thyroid hormone and say, we'll see you in a year. You know, they see you back a few weeks later, they check your blood tests, they adjust your dose until you reach a steady you know, point, in which yeah. case they can monitor you less frequently. But at the beginning, we're seeing patients here, you know, every six weeks until we get the, the, the levels where we want them. And then it's just about, you know, consistent monitoring. 
It makes so much sense. Thank you for clearing that up. And mm-hmm. it's such an important thing. And you're right. When it comes to sex, you know, people like to shy away from that. It's like, oh, it's not so important. Like, oh, once you hit 50, the sex isn't important. And by the way, I have heard clients who have come in who have been told things like that. Exactly mm-hmm. like that. So that makes me crazy, as I imagine it makes you crazy, too. It's like however old we are, we are entitled to live a full life and really, if we want to, to enjoy everything about it, including our sexuality, and to feel good. And yeah. it's such a, great, such a great point. And you're right. The studies about the other information, I, I never heard about them, and I think most people haven't. So it's really right. important that... You know, that I'm speaking with you today and, and that this information we can put out there in the world as much as possible and to go get your hormones checked if you are experiencing any of these symptoms. I mean, that's the message. And yeah. I believe if you have insurance that that insurance will cover these kinds of things. So it's not like it costs a lot. It's something that is doable and available to everybody, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Who Who knows? what insurance will and will not cover from week to week. But yes, right. generally, I mean, we, we take most uh, like commercial PPO insurance plans in our office. So we certainly see people in network with their insurance. Um, but that, you know, that can always change. I think it's always just a kind of a good idea to check with the, with the provider before you get any kind of testing done. Um, whether, whether you're not in, you're in network, that's just the, yeah. the prudent thing to do. It was like with birth control pills or birth control, they didn't cover it, but then it did. And it's, it's, you know, it's a political thing in in some ways. Uh, But I am so happy to have you here and really to be able to pass this information on. I hope we will meet again because there's so much more to talk about. But before we know, I feel like we're just getting started. (laughs) I know. Uh, Three things you want men and women to know about their sexual health. Just three great tips or words of wisdom that you can give. Okay. I guess number one, I would say if, um, you know, I, I use the phrase have better sex, like on like the main page of my website. Um, and, and I, I say that a lot because I think if you are not having, um, what you would consider satisfying sex, um, then you should seek help because that isn't normal. Um, and there's things that can be done and that doesn't matter if you're in your twenties or if you're in your eighties, um, you should have the kind of sex that you want to have. So that would be number one. Number two, I deal a lot with um, chronic pelvic pain and pain associated with sex, especially in women. And what I would say is to, to your um, female listeners is that painful sex is never normal. And I think yes. that that is not said enough. I think a lot of women resign themselves to this you know, they may have had pain from the very first time they had sex and they they have normalized it in their head, but it's not normal. And there's plenty of physiological issues that can be um, contributing to that. And so it's it's something that you should uh, uh, seek help for. And number three, I think kind of um, piggybacking on what you just said is that, you know, there is no age at which point you have to give up. Um and if you certainly if that's not a, a priority to you, you know, if you reach 50, 60 and, and you're just not really interested in sex anymore and you have a different sort of emotional, um, uh, intimate connection with your partner that doesn't involve sex and it's not important to either of you. That's again, that's not pathological. That's you and, and your relationship. Mm-hmm. But if you are not 
that person and you still have desire and you want to be sexually intimate with your partner, um, there's no age at which that shouldn't be able to happen. So um, if, if, if that is happening to you and it's affecting your relationship or your self-esteem or whatever, then you should definitely um, look to see if someone can help you with that. Brilliantly said, and just to, to recap, basically, sex is supposed to be pleasurable. Sex should never hurt. And if you want to have sex, you can have it as long as you want. <laughs> yes. It's a choice. It's a personal choice. I yes. love that. And Dr. Gonzalez, how would people find you if they want to reach you or make an appointment with you? Um, so probably the easiest way is through my um, website. It's just uh, Joshua Gonzalez, MD. It's J-O-S-H-U-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z-M-D.com. Um, there's links there to my social media, um, which I post a lot uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. There is a link on the website to schedule an appointment. There is a media page where you can see all of the blogs that I've done in the past, podcasts like this one. Um, you know, the press that I've contributed to, um, there's even some videos on there. So it's a pretty good resource, I think, for, for patients who are interested in learning more. And if they want to schedule an appointment, they can do so through the website. Yeah, it's really good. And I will put the link in the description. And, you know, just a little self-disclosure, Dr. Gonzalez is my doctor. I trust him. He's fantastic. And if you want someone you can trust and you want to get some help, I highly recommend, like you said, either just getting some information on his site or making an appointment. You won't be sorry. We want to be as informed as we can and take charge of all of our health, including our sexual health. So Dr. Gonzalez, thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. And listeners, I always appreciate you listening. And we'll be talking soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye.